Hello and welcome to the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Uh, brought to you this week by this review by Ollie Suave 007. Guess what movie this is from? Oh, so I thought you were gonna. Mm. I thought you were gonna do a review of the podcast. No, like, no, 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 no. I found a. Mm-hmm. It's a four out of ten. Okay. And this uh, this contains spoilers, guys. So be warned. So you, Nothing okay. recent. Don't worry. Okay, I would say, because you're, you're about to spoil something without telling us what it is. And this, it although, this review is ridiculously recent for saying what movie this is. This movie had the potential to be funny. Uh-huh. Where a group of billionaires led by a Las Vegas casino owner all made a bet to see which group of six strangers will be able to get <laughs> from Vegas to Silver City. Uh-huh. To retrieve $2 million hidden in a locker. The first one to get there keeps all the money. I mean, that's just a plot that's summary. A plot summary. The plot sounds fun enough, but the movie is basically just a bunch of crazy people pulling stunts and doing pathetic antics to try to get to the cash. No shit, mate, it's rat race. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you do you spend your spare time? The humour looking... is all forced comedy. Yeah, it wouldn't be funny if it wasn't forced. Do you spend a lot of your spare time looking through the reviews of Rat Race and getting yourself angry about it? Mm, not really. Although there was one that was immediately above that that said I was smitten with Amy Smart, but and then that again, was by you, who isn't? Uh, that one yeah. was written by you. It looks like one that would come from my account. What star rating would you give Rat Race? Seven out of no. Okay, in honesty, yeah, I think four is probably <laughs> honesty, fair. Ten. <laughs> I think four is probably a fair rating. Mm-hmm. And your heart for nostalgic purposes and. My head says four. My heart says eleven. My mind's about telling me no, but my body. <laughs> we can't sing that song now mm. because can't, can he's, he's a lot, a lot in trouble, and that song takes on a lot of new meanings now. Yeah, I don't like it when artists get themselves in trouble because like, you oh, can't, can't sing the songs. I can't sing "Remix to Ignition" anymore. Uh-huh. I've reworked all the lyrics. Yeah. It's, uh, this is my entrance to prison, hot and fresh going to prison, yeah. I am going to prison, <laughs> did you have I've done lots of bad things, no, before you stop saying I that. did things to your mum, and I'm gone to prison, it's the freaking weekend baby I'm about to be in prison, so give me that soap, soap, in the shower, shower, I mean that's a... Uh, so that's an outdated thing because they actually use instead of soap now they use dispensers. Uh, uh, foam burst. You know that? No. Imperial leather foam burst. So you squirt a bit. This podcast is brought to you by foam burst. The memory of it. <laughs> you squirt a little bit in there in your uh-huh. hand. Rub it together. Rub it together. Yeah. It's not ice for foamy. Oh. <laughs> All over <laughs> yourself. In every bit. I didn't like the mime there. And, it was a fairly uh, rigorous clean. You get various different flavours of foam burst. No, before you start singing that, yes. did you have anything past the first line? Didn't need because to. The... Still managed to find some stuff to do, though, didn't I? The look on your face said, probably not. The look on my face was 100% confidence, because I've been taking a course this week. <laughs> improv for... Confidence course, not improv. I'd never take improv classes after I aced my last one. 
Yes, and remember that episode. Your confidence course. Yeah. I'm a thing is, I'm a confidence podcaster. You know, mm. you gotta put your arm around me and let me know that I'm, I'm a really I've good podcaster. I've got to tell podcaster. you it's going well every so often. Yeah, you'd be like, You've got the ability to be the game changer out there today for us if you give a really good review of John Wick three. Talking of game changers. What's been changing in the world of games? Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, I'll tell people what we're reviewing today. Okay, yeah, but it's news that's what, we t- that's what we tried to yeah, do. Yeah, but there was a good segue there, and you've ignored it. That's uh, why you're, a bad, pod- uh, you're uh, a bad podcaster. Don't worry, I've got a segue into this particular one anyway. You're a bad podcaster. Okay, so... Naughty one. This week, we've got reviews of John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Parabellum. And we also have a review of Thunder Road from oh, me, Alex Hudson. Oh, Thunder Road. Don't give away the plot, mate. It's kind of the plot of the story is the plot of the film. (laughs) The plot of the film is me singing Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen quite badly. Well, the plot of the song is the plot of the film. Is it? In a way. Is it actually? Kind of. I thought this one wasn't about Bruce Springsteen. It's heavily Springsteen related. Everything's always Springsteen. What is it? The year of Springsteen? Yeah, every year. (laughs) Um, Last year, year of the rat. This year, year of the Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so look, I've not been feeling well this week. I think I'm coming down with a disorder. Gaming disorder? <laughs> uh, hey guys, World Health Organization are announcing this week whether gaming disorder is going to be recognized as an illness. Okay. Um, so they're, they're making an official ruling uh, as to whether to actually use it as a diagnosed disorder. So what does that mean? Like, what what are they saying it is? Okay, so... Persistent or recurring gaming behaviour, which may be online or offline, manifested does, by... Does that mean swearing at people, telling them you're going to have sex with their mothers, and being racist? Is that the online behaviours they're referencing? I think that's called being a Trump supporter. He did it! He made the most <laughs> political joke, brave <laughs> political joke anyone's ever made. You're so brave. So, um, so manifested by, one... Impaired control over gaming, e.g. onset, frequency, intensity, duration, termination, and context. Two, increasing priority given to gaming to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities. Mm -hmm. And three, continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. Uh huh. So, would you say if I was invite hypothetically invited out to go meet some friends, but instead I had a oh, FA Cup final? Okay, I tell you what. If you're asking me, Tranmere if you're against Tottenham, if you're and asking me, to... do I think you have the disorder? Yeah, you do. Not only do you have it, I think you're patient zero, mate. <laughs> I think you're cabin fever, patient zero. Terrible <laughs> film. Are you saying that you know if I'm saying if I'm invited? I'm saying to, if you were invited to an event, right? Not like oh, if I was invited to an event, but also I knew I had the FA Cup final for Tranmere against you know, Doncaster Rovers or someone. Uh, not, so I'm not saying there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you were invited somewhere, you would find a game to play, would so you, you didn't have to go. You would, you would pull off the shelf. <laughs> hypothetically, if I was invited somewhere and then I loaded up. You know, Tetris, the classic Tetris, like literally the first version of it, and went, oh, but I'm on level 22, I've just got to finish this level. You would pull out 
Ribbit King, a game that famously you hate. You just wanted to mention Ribbit King again, didn't you? I looked over and I saw all the games that were over there are ones that you might actually play. Whereas Ribbit King, a game you normally wouldn't play just to get out of going to a birthday party, you would play that <laughs> and be like, oh, guess this takes precedence over real life events. What if I didn't realise I was doing it? Now, I genuinely think that there's been times, right, where I've been invited somewhere and I've not gone because I don't want to. Yeah, correct. And then have ended up playing games and had a better time doing that than if I'd gone out and actually socialised with How people. do you know? Because I, I can tell That's you... That's the unknown quantity because you I can tell you go. with full faith that I had a better time because I didn't experience the other one. So okay. no enjoyment by going out and seeing people. Well, all the enjoyment yeah, but potential, by gaming. All of Sorry, the potential World Health Organization. You're wrong on this one. I don't know. So what are they going to do about it? Look, I think they should section you. <laughs> For other reasons mainly, but this time we'll, we'll have another reason why. But there we are. That's actual gaming news for the first time mm. in about five weeks. So how about that? It's interesting. I didn't do any... Uh, I'm, I'm not cheapening the gaming news section by having a theme tune anymore. I'm moving away from that. Just that <laughs> Okay. Know. It's an interesting thing though, isn't and it? And if it is going to have a song... It'll be Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. And? And, well, I think the original is just fine. You don't want the you Billy do, Ray Cyrus you bit. Do want, you do want the Billy Ray Cyrus No, because he he isn't the one who says, I'm a horse, horse, riding on a no. horse, horse. I am of a horse, horse. You are not, of course, cos. When he talks about his brand new guitar. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's mm. talk about uh, can actual. I, can I review gaming, that later? But watch that music video. Mm, no, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make the call now. Calling an audible on the field. No, Chris Rock is in it. Chris Rock. What? What is Chris Rock not in at this point? Rush Hour Four. Correct. Because that's Jackie Chan. Yeah, uh, it was always Jackie Chan, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He never stopped being in it. You wanted to know things he wasn't in? Okay, fine. Uh, right, so let's talk about... Oh, why has there never been a buddy cop film with Chris Tucker and Chris Rock? Two, you can't... That's two Chris's. Uh, they're both a bit outrageous as well, aren't they? They're a bit loud. They might outrage each other and then they'd make Chris cross. <sighs> let's do it. <laughs> you want to talk some news? Okay, so the first bit of news I have here is... Over 20,000 angry Game of Thrones fans petition, uh, signed petition to remake Season 8. Although that number, since that thing that you sent through on the 16th of May, has now increased to over 500,000 fans have signed this petition. Mm-hmm. And I know that you started this petition in good faith, but this joke has got out of hand now, Andy. You need to pull it off the website because HBO have started listening. <laughs> Um, you're a Game of Thrones fan. You've uh, been watching this series. I've not. I have. Uh, I've seen one episode. Have you only seen one this season? I saw one this season. I saw the. Oh, of course, you've been in while we've watched two. The, but one of them, you went upstairs. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any interest in it. I watched the second episode, yeah. the one where the White Walkers get to Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me, Andy, as a fan of the series from beginning to end, and mm. someone who is really looking forward to this final season. Where do you stand? I'm not going to go into any spoilers. So I'm not going to say would you sign a petition because I think all petitions are basically silly. No, I wouldn't. And I so I've not enjoyed. The, I think this has been 
one of the weaker seasons. Which is what um, I've heard as a general from... And I think the, it all boils down to the fact that they were hamstrung by the fact they've gone six episodes in this last season. Mm-hmm. And they've gone, yeah, the episodes are longer, but then they've seen meandering. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, apparently, the reason they've gone six is because they needed to kind of wrap this up before they go on to their Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and HBO went, oh, you can have these seasons. Like, we've got the money. You're making us so much money. Yeah. You know, you can have the seasons to do it. And they went, no, we want to finish it now. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why they're doing these spin-offs. Um, oh, by the way, one million signatures. That was three hours ago. <laughs> like it's like, The thing is, it, this is right. So as much as I don't enjoy, like I think some character decisions don't sit right with me. And it's strange, it's after the last episode that it happened where mm-hmm. the big character decision, they, they say, seems out of character. Mm-hmm. Actually, has been building for quite some time. I just don't like how sudden it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it, but the idea has been seeded throughout the seasons, pretty much since like season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there, and actually, while I believe it was always going to happen, it was maybe how quickly it happened and how it came across. Yeah, is what I don't like. That's me really skirting around the outs because I don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, but that is, it amazes me that that's the episode that's got the petition and not the third episode, which I think is one of the worst episodes of Game of Thrones I've seen. Mm-hmm. Because it does nothing in terms of characters um, and it's just them going, oh, look at us, we've got a big battle. Like, that episode is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes me laugh that this is now the petition. Um, but at the end of the day, this is the creative decision by that team. That team have gone, this is the story we want to tell, this is how we want to end it. And whether you like that or not, that's how it's going to end. Like, we can't basically say to them, oh, you must create it for me. Because there's what, say, un- it premieres to like 13, 14 million mm-hmm. each week. And they're not going to go, oh, because 1 million are upset, no. we are going to change this entire thing. Because there's 13 million, a silent majority now. You know, it's unfortunately, whether you like it or not, Mm-hmm. This is what they've decided to do. And I do think this is a weaker season than the rest. Um, but at the same time, those other seasons still exist. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you are having to tie up so many loose ends to such an expansive series without no longer the guidance of the books, which ended in like season five. Yeah. Um, there are plot threads there they are trying to pull through and others that they have just dropped because at some point it has got to end and... In a, in a correct way. And we were at that point where I think you could have potentially done one more um, and you maybe could have got... You could have maybe spent some time building up a few of these aspects. Mm-hmm. But I'm not at that point where I'm like, this is the worst series I've ever seen of my life. Um, I think there are still some really nice Game of Thrones stuff in there. Mm-hmm. and stuff that I like. I just don't think there's enough of it. Um, but there's not enough for me to be a crying baby about it. Do you think that one of the problems it has, I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but do you think that one of the problems that it has is that it is too successful? So it's too popular Mm -hmm. in a way that... So if you look at recent examples of this type of thing, Breaking Bad was popular, but I don't think to the extent that this has managed to permeate through to. Uh, Things like... uh, So things like that have had finite times Mm -hmm. so you had five series of that you had uh you know you had five series of the wire you knew that there were yeah there was an idea of how to finish 
and does it does it impact when the film uh, the sorry the tv series becomes successful to the point of the saturation in the market Absolutely. of the I... understanding of game of thrones and the awareness of it like i think it's something that also relates to stranger things at mm-hmm. this point is that each of the previous two series felt like they had definite endings yeah and now to bring, and now to be bringing a third, because I was someone who didn't think there needed to be a second, and then the second series. Series ended really well for me, and then the second series, setting up the third, I was like, I, again, I don't think it needs it, uh-huh. and I'd be interested now whether with this third season of um, Stranger Things, whether it's going to go down a similar path of because it's so out there in the public consciousness that. They just keep on going with that until the point where they go, we need to end it, and then they have to work out a way to make everyone happy who's aware of this show. I think there's a slight difference between, say, this and Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad's the last TV series I remember that had a cultural phenomenon where everyone was talking about it and everybody wanted to be up to date so nothing could be spoiled, so you got everything and everyone was witnessing it together. The difference you have there... Breaking Bad has one singular character that you're following the story of, mm-hmm. and everyone else is a side character to that one. So no matter what else happens afterwards, you can be interested in kind of how's Hank's rock collection going or whatever, uh, but actually you're focusing mainly on Walter White. Mm-hmm. The cast of Game of Thrones is so expansive that there's so many different side stories, and the way that original Game of Thrones worked was to move across, to build on time, you'd move around the map. So... If your story meant that you had to leave and move to some other um, town, mm-hmm. they'd go to my story. Mm-hmm. And my story would play out until we could get back to yours and t- in a little bit later on down the line. Um, which meant that you had all these characters that, you, that fans love and they kind of grow a bond, a bond with that actually they want to do right by every single character, all 20 of them by the time this last season comes out. Which then also leaves you with the problem of that two-year gap between, or one-year gap between the last season and this one, um, that's there being a breeding ground for people theorizing what's going to happen, and the problem is when your fan theory doesn't happen because mm-hmm. everyone's got them. There's there's been they're always there, and because sure. Game of Thrones can be so unpredictable, if your fan theory doesn't happen, then you start kind of spitting your dummy out mm-hmm. um, because you know certain characters don't have this decision that you wanted, and I think there are some character decisions in this last episode that seem to be I seem. Felt to me like I'd been shortchanged a little bit. Mm-hmm. But actually thinking about it on reflection and talking to people about it, there are some that I'm coming around to and going, actually, yes, maybe that is the way they they should, uh, that should end their storyline and things like that. Um, but there are some that are still there. But at the same time, like I say, I, I think allowing people to kind of get their own ideas built up so much and then not delivering on them ends up being, especially because this series every so often just throws one for the fans. Mm. That kind of goes... There you go, there's something for the fans. Um, and it does it more and more as the series goes on. But the fans are now there like, oh, but this is what we thought was going to happen. So if that's not happening, that's unfair. So I think you're right. But I also think there are other caveats of why it's happened to Game of Thrones more than others. Mm-hmm. And you, yes, it absolutely is a victim of its own success. Mm. So, guys, set your diary alarms for the 5th of March, 2021. Right. I'll tell you for why. Two films coming out that day. James Wan produced Mortal Kombat film <laughs> and Masters of the Universe. Are they both from that day? Both coming out that same weekend. 
so Mortal Kombat's received a, a, an official release date this yes. week. Uh, James Wan came on board, uh, got attached to it, I think, last year off the back of his work on the Conjuring franchise mm. and on Aquaman. Uh, Warner Brothers producing this one uh, and developing it. Uh, no director has yet been announced, I don't believe. Oh, is he not directing it? No, he's only producing. Um, this is going to be the second attempt at the, yes. the the film franchise. There's something about that first one that I still really like. Like mm. It is campy and horrible and it looks terrible. Yeah. But there's something, because I saw it so young, it left an impression on me where there is something in me that goes, actually, I kind of... I've got a theory for how they're going to make this film. Uh-huh. They're just going to make it Gladiator, but it's going to be Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I think that they might not. I think they'll just do kind of what the first one is, like some kind of weird storyline to drag you from fight to fight. And if anything, the director you want is probably the director of John Wick. <laughs> like, those guys who did the first John Wick, mm-hmm. um, get them in, because all you're going to do is, if you want a successful film and do something for it, get the guys who know how to do fight scenes. I don't think they're going to do that, though. They won't. I they'll, think get, they... they'll get someone like, um, who's the guy that James Wan works with all the they'll time? They'll get Lee Winnell to direct yeah. it, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not excited for this film. I won't see it. There's an interesting conversation around who would your dream casting be, but I think that's for another time. I think that's for another person to <laughs> join you on that one, because I don't know Mortal Kombat. Yeah, of course you do. Johnny Sub-Zero. Cage, Scorpion. Sub-Zero. Prince. King. King. King is Tekken. Yoshimitsu. Tekken. Panda. Tekken. Uh, Link was in one of them. Smash Brothers. Oh, Soul Calibur. <laughs> I was thinking of. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't care. I have no real... You're name. a resident gaming fan. I've never really got into the Mortal Kombat games. I don't really... I'm not very good at fighters. I've played a couple of the Tekken games mm-hmm. and the Injustice games, but I'm not very good at fighters. Sure. Um, it was just button bashing, and I'm not very good at button bashing. Like That's most the, games to me now, though. Like getting the right combination or the lucky combination, you know. Like I've played with certain people who can absolutely wipe the floor with me in like two yeah. minutes. Um, or Anyone two who seconds. knows a combo. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was one on Tekken. The only where, combo I know is the old... Uh, is the meal deal big, from KFC. Yeah, Big Mac with a... With a coconut fries. And with a side of 20 nuggets. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's one in Tekken where you could make um, Law mm-hmm. do the backflip kick and you could literally juggle them like that. And if you learn that move, as long as they didn't know how to counter it, mm-hmm. you'd win every game. Regular Bear, was he Tekken as well? Yes. Cool. Um, but the, as far as the film goes, I'm interested to see what they do with it because it's so hard to make those films work. Yeah. Um, and not seem like a a mess yeah. of a film. So I'm very interested to know how you keep the idea of that game. And I suppose the good thing is that game now has a storyline. Yeah. The storyline is convoluted as hell, mm. but there's something that you can work off. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, final bit of the news this week we'll get into is uh, Batman related. So mm. uh, some details have emerged this week of uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman, uh, which is currently scheduled for 2021 as well. Um, casting news. It seems to be all but confirmed now that Robert Pattinson is going to be the Bruce Wayne Batman in this film. Yeah. Uh, previous news that we've had from this film is that it's going to form its own continuity within... It. So 
But basically, it's debatable, but it seems like Matt Reeves is wanting to build his own little franchise. So is it, I thought this was like a solo one-time, one-shot film. I... I from the from the message I've I've seen it's seems... the message I got like from Matt so Reeves. when when I sat down with Matt Reeves in my head uh, after reading his interviews and comments about this from what I understand they've given him one film mm. but it seems like no one would be surprised if he gets more out of it and he would continue with the stories that he's setting up like in this Reeves, first film. So. Um, uh, Villain-wise, uh, the, the the villains that he will be facing off against in this film are due to be the Penguin and Catwoman. Now, are, have they been confirmed as main villains? Like Those are the villains. Those are the two or villains who have been confirmed as for? being in the film. Okay, because this is the interesting thing for me. When you said this, uh, we spoke about this like, yesterday or whatever, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen this news, is... I'm wondering whether they are going to... That is just villains they are casting for, but they've announced. And actually what they do is they then cast for a whole lot more. Um, and actually they then start doing a rogues gallery that, you know, maybe it's a point where he's already put his villains away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you Although this is supposed to be very early doors for Batman. Mm. This is supposed to be in his first two or three years yeah. of being Batman. Well, you know, he's put a, a few people away. You know, maybe he's put... He's, in Cat Penguin, he's put them away. Catwoman's on the scene, or you know, it's very, I'm very interested to know whether it is they are the villains because, like you said, when I spoke about it, it is very Bert and Batman. That combo of villains has been done. Um, so how is that not recognized within the studio of them going, We've done this, how do we make it different? And it might be the fact that they're going, Oh, yeah, Penguin and Catwoman are being cast for, but actually. They might not be anything to do with the story much. They might just mm-hmm. be kind of background setting to help build an environment for which this Batman can... You know, it might be a case of Batman going, this city is squalor because, look, you've got all of these different... It's the thing that you get in the Arkham games, like especially Arkham City, Arkham Knight, where Batman's there and he's like, all these different factions exist. Mm-hmm. And they're all these these people. Like, you've got like Two-Face running around and all that. Um, and it could be that thing of Batman being like, "This is why I need to be Batman." These all these all exist, so yeah. it's not them being the main villains. They are just there as set dressing to kind of really drive home the environment of Gotham. That's how I would like it. Mm. Well, <laughs> um, nothing's, uh, but no, no casting for that will be explored until Pattinson signs his deal. What do you think to Pattinson? Because you said I think it's a good, good choice. Now, yeah. Uh, huh? good, I saw, good so, time? so I, I saw Good Time uh, earlier this year, and I think it's great. And I think Pattinson is a really interesting choice, and I think he would do a great job here. Uh, since leaving Twilight, he's explored. Option. Oh, he's got a film out at the moment called High Life, which I'm. Well, I'd like to see. But I almost I went to see. It. I almost went to see now. it, and I didn't get a chance to. Um, but I was almost going to see it today. But it's it's one of those that it is very mixed, isn't it? On, but that's how you know you. It's one of those kind of films where it's very five stars, two stars. Hmm. I mean, there's. I think there's a degree of that to some of these artier sort of. Uh, thoughtful sci-fi films and I think it's always a risk that you run anyway. He's getting good claim for it, I can yeah. tell you that. What, my well, he's been, he's been great ever since leaving Twilight. My favourite and... tweet was um, something along the line saying uh, the best thing about Patterson signing for Batman is a load of indie films have just got their funding. Mm, true, yeah. 
but this is, uh, I'd say that this is a good step for Matt Reeves. I think the, I would be worried for Robert Pattinson slightly mm-hmm. in that there is a weight of expectation that would then come with that role. And there is a, I think there is a weight of expectation that would come from the studio potentially to get him to do more. Yeah. His best, his, I think his best chance here is to agree to do one. And then reevaluate it. And then reevaluate whether the experience was fun enough for him to get involved with again. Mm. But also realize that if he signs up for another, that's another two years of his life gone. So if he's interested in doing these interesting films at the moment, he's got to make sure that they're keeping hold of the right people. It's the Walking Phoenix situation. Um, Because it could well be that Matt Reeves manages to fuck this up. You never know. So it could well be that the experience is completely wrong Mm -hmm. and not good for him. So if it isn't, he'd be a fool to sign up for anything more than one at this point because I think, you know, turn your turn your attention to one and see if you want to do yeah. that. But maybe it's a case of, okay, I've done that. I'm out of that system now. I'm going to go back and make films for $5 million again. Yeah. And I know you say you're, you're happy with the casting of Robert Pattinson. Yeah. But can you remove the petition to get him removed as Batman? I know you put it up as it's a joke. It's weird, isn't it, that that's the studio is starting to listen. It's it's weird that people have... I mean, people are unjustly furious about this. It's the people who've not seen anything he's done since Twilight. That's what it is. Yeah, and I think th- there is less reason to be furious about him being on, on board with this than there was about Ben Affleck being on board. Well, the, the, I know you, there was a lot of backlash towards Ben Affleck, but I know there's even more at the moment. You're getting a lot of people at the moment being like... Oh, you were obviously not at the age where we saw Mr. Mom get cast as Batman. Yeah. And and he turned out to be probably the, like Michael Keaton was his how well, old. Yeah, they, the they hired a comedy actor to play Batman in 1989. No one thought that was going to turn out to be the business that it turned out being. And he was great for two films. Unfortunately, we then got to see a, an ER character be be put in as Batman, and that turned out pretty horribly. So, you know, Batman, uh, it's an interesting casting. I think I'm excited for it in the same way that I'm excited for Joker mm-hmm. later this year, in that I like the people attached to it, and I want to see what they can do with it. Mm-hmm. And we, talk, uh, we talked about this off-air as well, in that, you know, if this is the... If this is the route they're going to go down with with Warner Brothers and DC of of standalone stuff and sort of independently minded stories, great. I'm interested to see what I'm. Goes. I am on board with that because I'm done with I, I'm done with that sort of you know MCU style yeah. nonsense now. So you know I'll happily see it. Don't agree with the word nonsense, but um, yeah, I agree with the sentiment. <laughs> Uh, right, movie reviews. Let's just dive on in, shall yes. we? Yes, shall we review... The- we'll, we'll do what we've both seen first. Um, so, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, is uh, the new film out this week, and continuing the story from, you know, pretty much immediately from the ending of um, John Wick, Chapter 2. Yeah, it picks up like from a minute afterwards. <laughs> Uh, so follows very closely on from that in the same way that number two did from number one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Keanu Reeves reprising his role as the titular John Wick. He's on the run from uh, from the various organisations that he's peed off by breaking the rules of. So he is excommunicado. And is a there is a $14 million price tag on his head and he needs to get himself away from New York. Mm-hmm. Cut off from all services. Uh, so that's that. Um, to talk about anything else not necessarily spoiler because you kind of know what you're getting here Mm -hmm. um but you know without exploring any plot points it's probably better that you just watch the film and experience it kind of goes the place i expected it to the thing is if 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 you are a john wick fan and have seen john wick and john wick and particularly john wick chapter two because this has a lot of stuff that feels like it leans into what was happening during that film because that that film certainly had number two had a um a very sort of middle of a trilogy type feel to it mm. in that it felt like it was setting him onto a path that was unavoidable yes. and yet was the only path that he could have gone down to justify making the, the third end of, one. The end of number two really got me excited going into this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what, what I think uh, number two does is it does a lot of kind of set dressing ready for this film. So it sets up certain like key items and things like that. Sure. That means that um, certain people have to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does a lot of kind of like this is your universe, kind of build that out so that when it gets to this one, you kind of just understand yeah. that. Um, in terms of you know, you've got everyone returning from for their cast roles, uh, and then uh, Chad Stahelski returns at the helm for mm-hmm. the third time uh, to the franchise. Uh, he's he's someone who I think he's he's managed to shape this franchise now. Yeah. And by doing so, we've talked about this before in terms of, I think we've talked mainly off air, but I think must have talked about it on podcasts as well, that he, as a director, has managed to shape action movies for the last five years now. Mm. And not indirectly, yeah. I'm saying, in that we we watch a bunch of action movies as a part of doing this podcast and it's so clear now the ones that have been influenced it's by the, same the existence the of John Wick. Paul Greengrass with the Bourne. Exactly, yeah. The, it, it, it permeates through taken to, to the, the wider same. Yeah. Like they, they 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 films like this influence those around it because mm-hmm. they go, Okay, so this is what action is right now, this is what the audience enjoys. Yeah, if if the first one makes money, then it must be a case of, well, that's what works. So let's make more of that. Mm-hmm. Which is not always the case when you don't have someone who can direct it well. So you'll see some some versions of this story essentially being made where you go, but this isn't anywhere near as good because you fundamentally don't understand what was good about John Wick and the long shots and the long takes that you've tried here don't work because it all feels a bit too stagey. Yeah, and the thing is, so what I really enjoy about John Wick and what I, what I noticed more when I was watching this one, like I really like this film, I'll put mm-hmm. it out there now. I think it's stronger than the second one. Yeah. Nowhere near the first because I still hold the first as one of the best action films of yes. this, of this like decade. Um, that and Mad Max for me are two of the best um, action films that I've seen probably in my lifetime. Come mm-hmm. um, so the first one's above, above and beyond. But this one works better than the second. But what I did notice that I really like, so the first 15 minutes of it are breathless. Like, I really, really like it because it kind of just goes straight in. It goes, okay, we're going to go straight from where we were and we're going to just give you 15 minutes of just kind of like nonstop. Um, and I was speaking to one of my friends about this and they, to me, I said, they looked at their watch after after that segment ends and they went, 
Christ, it's only been 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed and what I really liked um, was you can tell, if you stop and watch it, you can tell how choreographed this is. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are certain, because they're all stunt actors, basically. Yeah. Um, you can tell that like some of them are waiting for their cue, but they're kind of holding it and making it look like they are. They're ready to go. You know, some of them wait and you see the kind of way that the hits are hit and how perfectly it's almost like a dance yeah when you watch it and i think if you wanted to pick that part as a fault you could but actually what it is is it it allows the action to breathe um and i think that's what is the benefit of this franchise yeah is that they definitely put the action to the forefront and they've got in keanu reeves an actor who is really willing to go all out yeah um but yeah so i really i really like this i think I'd say it's interesting having seen other stuff that John, that sorry, that Keanu Reeves has done in the time frame that this has been his primary concern. It's interesting to see how good he is in this, as opposed to how terrible he is in the other <laughs> stuff that he's in. Yeah, he pops up in the Bad Batch, the um, Anna, uh, Anna Lily Amirpour film from a couple of years ago, and he's awful. <laughs> Uh, he's just had that uh, destination wedding film come out that's been absolutely yeah. slated, and you know his performance trailer, hasn't been anything to write home about. But the, the thing so is, it's interesting that the, this um, is his. This clearly feels like it's his primary motivation for still working. Do you not remember the uh, before this, before John Wick and everything? Do you not remember the the thing that everyone used to say about Keanu Reeves? People used to say Keanu Reeves cannot act. He is wooden. He is stilted, um, and he was kind of like the go-to jibe of, well, that's a Keanu Reeves performance because it was real wooden. Like that's what I always remembered it as. Yeah, you know, especially during the, those Matrix years when his star was so big, everyone was always like, yeah, it's, Keanu Reeves is the main guy in this, but actually he's not. He's not the most endearing to watch on screen. And actually, mm-hmm. the one time that he was really magnetic was probably Bill and Ted. Yeah, and actually. In John Wick, if anything, they lean into it because he is quite like you don't get any kind of long soliloquies from John Wick. He's not, he's not, he's not an emotional talker. Mm. Um, well, I think the 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 best thing about these films is that the character is not the driving force here. It's what the story mm. is, and the fact that the action is the forefront of of the production. Yeah, and for for me. I I like this film. I think it's a I think it's a much better version of the film than the second one was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's still a long way off the first, but I enjoyed it enough. The, my only downsides were for me it felt too long. Yeah, and it's it's one of these franchises that over time has just increased running time. The first one I think was about an hour and forty, and now we're up to two and a uh, two hours ten minutes, and mm-hmm. it feels like okay, you can definitely feel like you could chop away twenty five minutes. And you're yeah. going to have a much tighter experience. And for me, you can cut away some of the action because you've got so much of it now mm. that it almost feels a little bit relentless. True. And it gets to a point where I go, I'm numb to it and I'm not being impressed anymore because I've already been impressed in this film about it. Yeah, And I don't need to see that much more. All I need to see is the fact that you've got it. And then you've got the story to go along with it. And if you want to expand your universe, then that's absolutely fine. And they do so in this movie yes. to a to an extent. Um, and I agree. But, you know, I agree and disagree with you there. I think like I think when the action was happening, I was quite entranced. I think they do some really nice new stuff with action. Like they they kind of go, 
okay, we're going to, like, for example, I think there's a whole scene, like you see in the trailers, Halle Berry's in this, mm-hmm. and she's got a couple of dogs, and they use those dogs in in action scenes, and they kind of go, okay, we're going to see how we can kind of change things up so we can't get the usual John Wick. Like, what you expect of John Wick cannot be done. Yeah. Um, but, and I like the way they reinvigorate it. I think you're right in there are some times where you could go, you could probably lose that bit of the fight, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't lose anything here. Um and then there are bits where, like the kind of in between fight bits, that you you need those lulls so that you can get you can ramp back up to the yeah. to the stuff. But sometimes you kind of go, okay, but that seems like it's a double lull now. If that makes sense, like you go, okay, okay, come on, come on, let's get there. Now we're here, come on. And I and when we're there, I'm there. Yeah, uh, for me, there there was also that issue of I think. Again, expanding the budget for me doesn't necessarily feel like it's added anything to the film. And in fact, I think tied to the budget with this, the better the film you're going to get, which Mm. is why I think the first one works as well as it did. Obviously, they've earned the bigger budget by earning that box office success from the first two films. So I'm not going to begrudge them having it. It's just a shame that I think when you get that bigger budget, it almost feels like you've got an obligation to spend it. So you therefore end up doing things that... I think you could potentially get away from and and stick a bit more of an insular story and still make it interesting and expansive, but without having to be globally expansive, if that makes yeah. any sense. To you, it will, because you've seen the film. Yeah, to yeah. other people. Anyway. Also, you get um, Jerome Flynn in this. Yeah. With, got a big audience cheer from, from yeah. my audience. But I'm not sure what accent he's going for. I think it's... I think it's French. Well, it's Morocco, isn't it? So mm. it's, it is a French accent in there. Um, but I was also it, just like, why are they not just letting him do his own voice? I'm not sure. I, lo- I just love when actors like that appear in something like this. And I, yeah, it's great to see him like, in, in like a film that will be seen by a lot of people. Uh, but they're like, but why do they like just putting voices on? Hmm. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, there's, in fact, the trailer for Anna that I saw before this... Yeah. Features a lot of questionable accents in it already, uh, so I'm not particularly fussed about that one. Um, what I would say is that this, so you know, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I think uh, so. From my point of view, it's a recommend. Yes. Uh, and in terms of if you're looking at out and out action films this year, I can't think of anything on the radar where I'm thinking, mm. "Oh, that's going to trouble it," because I, you know, you think to, to other action type franchises. I don't think any of them have got any major releases this year. You've not got an uh, Mission Impossible. Hobbs and Shaw is coming out this oh, year. Oh, to be fair, that is true. And, you know, you're a big fan of the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise, so... I don't think it's going to get anywhere near this. And I think, basically, I think... I really like this film. And, yes, I think this is better than the second uh, film. And I think this franchise of films is really doing something for me right now mm-hmm. of going, that's the kind of little niche in this, act- in this action genre that no one else is doing as well as this. Yeah. Um, and I think... You've well, you've got directors who care. You've got actors who like are very into this. Like Keanu Reeves, if you ever see him speak about this franchise, he is gushing. Mm. It's this and Bill and Ted are his current. Yeah. Like he, the way he speaks about Bill and Ted at the moment, he's dead excited about that as well. And I think while you've got that excitement and you're building up and you're still being inventive and you're still trying new things, then I'm yeah, always, if you can make it work. I'm always more excited <laughs> to see more. Um, this is something that I'm I'm really happy that John Wick films exist. There's a um, there's a link here that I'm going to make. It's a slightly tenuous yeah. one, but we've brought him up already. So Bruce Springsteen. There is a lyric. One of my favourite Bruce Springsteen lyrics comes in Jungle Land, 
where it talks about there's a opera out on the turnpike and there's a ballet being fought out in the alley. Yeah. This film embodies that for me in that it finds artistry in the chaos of the world. Oh yeah. Like so the the fact that the the city is as much of a character as it is in this world mm-hmm. and that the you know in that song he's talking about fights being choreographed he's talking about balletic. the balletic versions of fighting and this film for me leans into that mm. sort of that that lyric was in my head while I was watching it just thinking oh yeah, this is what that can be. Understand, and one thing that I don't think we've even just even touched on is that I think yes, that there are some moments in this film where you have to have the proper suspension of disbelief to believe that this society can work. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, is there are some absolutely incredible shots by the director, and the the visual style of these films that is carried from one to two to three really works for me. Of this is how these films look, um, and there are certain ones where you go. That is a really beautiful shot, and they might even just be like background shots. Um, and the way it's framed really works, and then I think, the way the music adds to that. Yeah, I think Dan Lauston's cinematography here is mm. really good. I think he's he's someone who can capture action whilst also capture a greater world around it. And there, you're right; there are bits where you kind of feel like you're in a sort of comic book movie almost, yeah. where. It can't be a real... It's gone from, in the first film, being very yeah. very believable with some aspects of slight fantasy to it now being, this cannot, this cannot happen. be a world that exists yes. because everyone is so attuned to, well, this is always Lata, happening. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, people are being killed <laughs> in the public eye. And you just think, yeah, that's just what happens in New York these days. So anyway... Um, yeah. Also, a really endearing villain in this. I really, I like him. Um, I like I like his interplay with. Oh, Joel okay, as, right. As the 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 henchman, sorry, I, more I, of a henchman, isn't he? I, I I was trying to work out who you meant, and I was like, which one, Jerome Flynn? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the henchman, I find him very endearing, and I found I found this film had a, a good few comedic moments in mm-hmm. there. Of you know, it was, it was funnier than I thought it would be. Well, the the thing that I loved about this film that was completely missing from the second one for me was there is a self-awareness here hmm. uh, that wasn't present in the second one to 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 the extent that I needed it to be in order for it to get away with what it tries to get away with. Whereas this film definitely yes. has a very self-aware sense of humour and knows what it is and knows the history of the mm-hmm. characters and the actors within it. You know, you've got a line lifted from the Matrix yes. in there. You've got, you know, you've got the... There is a very funny line about a dog. Uh-huh. Yes. It, it is it is aware of its own history as a franchise but not only that but its star's history and it's, as an actor it's interesting that I said this about um, Infinity War and it's weird that this film does the same thing mm-hmm. where it I talked about that feeling a bit like event cinema where when I watch it I feel the the audience are there as a whole reacting audibly as a whole um, to moments that you would expect them to react to um, and it was quite nice being swept up in that again because I said in Infinity War, um, not Infinity War, Endgame, that I don't get that that often in cinema. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to have that and feel feel that the audience are enjoying this as much as I was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 100% a recommend for me. Like yeah. I think it's, it is really strong um, in that genre. I think if you are an action 
um, enjoy an action film and you've seen the other John Wicks as well and you like those, then this is just more of the same. You're not, you're not going to be disappointed if you've enjoyed the first two. 100%. And if you thought the second one was good, this is, <laughs> this is miles better, I think. You say um, you saw another film this yeah, week. Yeah, so I have seen another film this week. Uh, today I went along to a, a special preview screening with a Q&A uh, of Thunder Road. Written, directed, performed, co-edited, VFX done by Jim Cummings, and in fact music also done by him, uh, and well, maybe executive produced by him as well. Uh, so uh, he, has a, this he has is, a big hand in it. So this is, um, uh, I'll be upfront with you now, this is one of my favourite films of the year. Mm-hmm. It is indie filmmaking at its finest, I think, in terms of here is someone who's had a singular vision for a film, uh, this is a develop of uh, this is developed from a short film from twenty sixteen. Uh, this then premiered at I think South by Southwest last year and got very good reviews at that point and has come out and is now hitting the UK. So it hit the US. Uh, I think it hit the main market in the US earlier last year. Mm-hmm. This year it's only just reaching the UK and he's doing a tour to sort of promote it at the moment. Um, story is uh, he so. Jim Cummings plays uh, Jimmy Arno, who is a police officer in Texas. He loses his mother, and he it follows his grieving process more than anything else. Um, so it's, he's in the midst of a divorce. His mother then passes away, and then he has to cope with that, and he has to work out how to cope with that alongside raising his daughter on the days that he's allowed to see her and dealing with that as well. Um, it's a, it's a small film in terms of what's going on, but it's a big film in terms of the ideas and the questions that it raises about masculinity, mm-hmm. mostly, uh, about the idea of what it's like to go through a grieving process and the ways in which people can grieve differently alongside that idea of particularly a very southern idea southern american idea of are you allowed to say that you're not happy and mm-hmm. that you're not okay um the the title coming from the song thunder road by bruce springsteen a very important title and a very important song in relation to the film in terms of the song and in fact jim cummings was saying this during the q a today that song is a very important song to a lot of americans in the sense that it allowed a lot of them to embrace the idea of them if they weren't happy with their lives that that was okay Mm -hmm. and there was a way to do something about it you could pack up your car and just leave and yeah. you could go and start a new life wherever you wanted. And he was he was saying that that's a really important thing with regards to the way in which we're talking about mental illness and mental health and making sure that people are having conversations because they're important to have. And it's not a case of burying your emotions to make sure that you come across as the strongest man in the room at all yeah. times. And the fact that, you know, Jim Cummings is from um, Louisiana originally, and he was saying it's a very Southern mentality for the men to just go, well, you don't talk about the feelings because you just kind of get on with it. Mm -hmm. And here is a film entirely about a man trying to grapple with that sense of who he is, whether he's happy with who he is, and what he can tell people about who he is. 
Was the just over just was the question answered before after the after film. the film? Did you get that? So obviously he was. I got that during, that during. So I was watching the film, knowing I, I deliberately didn't watch the trailer, and it was just a film that I was aware of last year. Yeah, and wanted to see. And I thought, right, well, I won't watch the trailer. I don't want to see anything about this. So I just went in as blind as I could when I found out that he was coming and doing this tour. So I went into it thinking, I don't really know what I'm getting other than it's pretty much a one-man band in terms of what's going on here. His performance is exceptional. And it it's one of these performances where, because he is in every scene... You you are watching it and you're going, you're having to do so much here because he's going from hysterical crying mm-hmm. to sort of shouting in anger at someone to having to have an emotional word with his daughter about what it means to uh, to for someone to move on and uh, and whether she's allowed to start life at a new class in a, in a sort of way that he doesn't agree with because. Mm-hmm he thinks that she's perfect the way she is and she's got these other friends who are saying things that maybe, you know, maybe that aren't so nice about her or she feels very self-conscious about the way she looks. And he's having to, he's having to walk this tightrope of emotions that covers pretty much everything. And you're watching it and there are key scenes in this and there's a particularly, a really, really powerful scene in, uh, in a car park at the, um, at the police station where everything comes up mm-hmm. and it's a really powerful scene um you know i laughed a lot in this film it's a very funny film but i cried a lot as well and i it, it's a film that isn't afraid to make you do either of those two things it's mm-hmm. easy to laugh at there is there is a very very weird opening to this film set in a funeral home during his mother's burial, essentially, mm-hmm. his, his mother's service. And there is a dance scene in it that is both tragic mm-hmm. and hugely funny because of the nature of that scene. I don't think I've seen a better moment in cinema this year than that mm-hmm. because I laughed whilst crying. <laughs> And that's something that's very yeah. difficult to achieve. I, I am, I am really astonished by this film. I think it's, it's so, so good. And the shame of it is, it won't get a huge release over here. But there's interesting stuff. Like I'll, I'll tell you off air anyway. But yeah. there's some really interesting stuff that Jim Cummings is trying to do with regards to film financing and the way in which that system works. And he is such an engaging presence when you're in a room with him because he is so passionate about making films. And he's so he's made 10 short films previously to this, mm-hmm. all with a sort of revolving cast of, you know, around 200 people being involved in all 10 of them put together. Yeah. And he's found sort of 15, 20 people who would walk over hot coals, he said, to mm-hmm. do whatever he needed them to do for this project. The whole film was shot in 14 days. Yeah. That is ridiculous considering the fact that he's also directing it, writing it, editing it, doing the VFX for it. <laughs> doing, he, he learned to play the ukulele because he realised, <laughs> we haven't got any music in this film and this scene needs music. <laughs> so he learned how to play the ukulele to play three songs in this film. 
it's astonishing. And uh, uh, if you if you can get to see it, please do. It'll be out, I think, on the last weekend of May, thirty first of May. Mm-hmm. Please go and see it if if no, you I'm can. Re- I'm really interested now. Now I I didn't know anything about this film, and you talking about it makes me go. Actually, it sounds like one I mean, that. Look, could if, easily fly under the radar if you're if you're someone aware. who only ever goes and sees blockbusters and big Marvel movies, and that's all you're really interested. in, It's probably not for you. Do you know what it sounds like to me? Mm. Not in kind of um, content or anything, but in kind of style. From what you say, it's something like the Florida Project, where yeah, it's it, it's, it, it's it's very reminiscent of any of Sean Baker's work. I think in terms of it being, there is a spirit to the film that co- only comes out of a very a very focused production. Mm-hmm. Knowing what they want to do with it, and knowing that they've only got a very certain amount of money to do it with, and knowing they've only got a very certain amount of time to do it in, it creates something that, even if the film is rough around the edges, which this one is, yeah. you really don't mind. You you choose to ignore... There's, there's a scene where I chose to ignore something that I noticed at the beginning of the scene... The boom mic just slowly... Well, no, but well, he talks about that. So he had to learn how to remove boom mics from shot digitally... Yeah. ...when he was doing the editing, because he was like... That was that was the stuff that I was having to do, because we didn't have any time to yeah. make sure we got three takes of this. And the dance scene, he said, it's just, you know, you go seven times... I think he said they shot it seven times, and then they shot it another seven times. They shot it seven times with music shot it seven times without music and had to work out if they were going to use one with music, one Mm -hmm. without music, and which of those seven they were going to use. And he just said, you didn't realise that there might be boom mics in shot, so you had to then digitally edit them out afterwards. But no one else is on the production, so I'm having to do that in the post-production stage. Um, If if you can go and see it, please do. I think he's, he's put something together here that really affected me. I I love this film, and it's up there, like I said, it's up there with some of the best stuff I've seen this year. Is he still on tour? Yeah, Is he's, I think he's got three or four dates left. Uh, they'll all be very close together, though, because I think he was in Sheffield yesterday, yeah. Nottingham today. He's already been to London. I think he's got maybe Glasgow to go, or maybe he's been up there already. Um, if you can see it on the on the on the tour, do so. If you can't, it's out on the 31st. And I would imagine it's probably going to get a streaming release relatively soon after that, maybe. Mm. Um, but also check out, uh, I would say follow him uh, on Twitter because I want to stay ahead of this sort of... There's a really interesting concept that he's coming up with with this um, film financing thing. I'll tell you about it off air because mm-hmm. it's it's a little too much to get into now. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting. Um I think that's where we're going to have to leave it. Double recommend. Yeah, double recommend easily. I like these weeks. Um, Right, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Next week, hopefully Aladdin and um, the Elton John one. What's that called? Rocket Man. Rocket Man. I think I will see Aladdin. I'm not sure about Rocket Man. I'm not grabbed by it. And I I like Taron Egerton. I'm I'm looking forward to Aladdin. I think it's going to be good. I've, (laughs) I've got a suspicion. I hope so. I hope you're right. Suspicion makes it sound like it's slightly evil. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to... Oh, um, and we'll also have a review of uh, The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot, because yes. we booked him for that. Um, so yeah, we'll have some 
couple of tent polers this this time next week, I and suppose. And I'll spoil all of Game of Thrones for you. Yes, and you'll you can talk about <laughs> the finale about of Game of Thrones and see how how you feel post yes. post that series. Uh, as always, John Neves did the theme song this time. It was well, it was Bruce Springsteen, obviously. Um, three time, four times in one episode. How about Playing that? His best song, Radio Nowhere. Uh, well, you know, best radio friendly song. Mate, no, fuck that. No, Born to Run to the better radio friendly song. You know what? If if you have got one thing out of this podcast, guys, it's that Bruce Springsteen is very good. Um, Where can they find us? Ah. Uh, I cried when he mentioned Bruce Springsteen in the Q&A. How weird is that? <laughs> You're weird. I just love Bruce Springsteen. I've been watching a lot of him. Um, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at DinosaurMan15. Everywhere else, we're at DinosaurMan Nerdcast. Uh, that includes Spotify, iTunes, Buzzsprout, and... Stitcher. Stitcher. If you've still got an Android, you square fucks. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't think I swore this episode, and then I managed to ruin it. What a nightmare. I think we did all right. I hope Jim Cummings listens to this episode and thinks I'm a nice guy until I say that. And then he's like, why did you say that? Um, as always, Andy, you've been here. You've been the host of the podcast. In a... You've been here as well. And yeah. you've also been the host. Correct. And until next time. Uh, bye, guys. Uh, catch Thunder get... Road. Catch, catch, Thunder, you know, catch Thunder Road. Catch Thunder Road when it comes out. Set your diaries. 31st of May. But if it's coming to the tour... Uh, check it out I should have got the tour dates up sorry everyone I'm a failure and a loser but I still love you very much you're great you're Mm. a great podcaster thanks I love being lied to (laughs) bye bye